0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين صلى الله وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد طب القلوب ودواءها وعافيه الابدان وشفائها نور الابصار وضيائها وعلى اله وصحبه وسلم So, uh, we're not going to take as long today in order to leave some time for any questions that people might have about the seminary announcement that happened a few days ago. And uh, so, it'll be a little bit shorter today. Inshallah. Volume's okay? Is that good? All right so we had left off Imam Al-Muhasibi rahimahullah ta'ala wa naf'a adahu bi 'ulumihi fi ddarayn amin He had been talking about if you recall this uh, statement of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said was asked which of which are the best people for us to sit with and he replied sallallahu alayhi wa sallam by saying those who when you see them you remember Allah And when they um, speak, you're increased in knowledge. And when they act, you are reminded of the hereafter. So we had spent a long time on that. And there were 11 examples of people throughout history who were like that. And we spent a long time talking about this idea that these people exist. And uh, that there is a culture uh, among the Muslims over many parts of history where they would look for such people. May um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to meet such people Now, So we go now to some more stories uh, On this topic One of them is that the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, This statement of his uh, About uh, in relation to this uh, The sahabi Abu Musa al-Ash'ari Radiallahu anhu so Abu Musa al-Ash'ari was from the senior sahaba, right? Senior companions of the Prophet sallallahu wa He was known to be really gifted in reciting the Qur'an. So he's a significant person himself. He used to say, la, majlisun, la majlisun, kuntu ujalisuhu he said that the times when I would sit in the company of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, who's also, of course, a senior Sahabi, right? So Abu Musa is saying, the times when I would sit with Ibn Mas'ud, those times were more impactful on myself than the deeds that I do for one year. Than the deeds that I do for one year. <laughs> SubhanAllah, it was like pretty heavy duty. They so say that I would sit with him this should have more of an impact on myself. One of the things to take from that is that we should note for ourselves what things have impact on ourselves. Right? We should have some level of awareness. And, and by this we don't mean uh, we have to distinguish between emotions and actual spiritual benefit. Right? So sometimes, you know, we like to be in a certain gathering because everyone talks about us a certain way or everyone does this or that and it makes you feel happy. That's nice. But we're talking about something that makes a person, like really affects them in their relationship with Allah. So I should know that. So like you know, when when I'm, uh, what really helps me in my relationship with Allah? Maybe it's when I pray to Hajj. Maybe it's when I read Quran. Maybe it's when I help somebody. Maybe it's when I do something for someone that they're asking me to help them, and I go and I help them. Maybe I say something nice to somebody. Maybe I plant something in the ground with the intention that it grows and animals and human beings and the rest of creation benefits from it there's any number of good things a person can do right but I want to know for myself what is uh, what was his expression o nefsi. what's o nefsi? what's that thing that's really uh, has an impact in my in myself that's going to benefit me hmm so he says, those gatherings when I used to sit with Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, that was more impactful for myself than the deeds that I do for one year. And imagine the deeds that he does. You know, It's Abu Musa radiallahu ta'ala. He's a huge companion. So the deeds that he's doing must be significant. And Ibn Mas'ud is even. So then, what does it tell you about Ibn Mas'ud? That's a whole different level, right? SubhanAllah. It's beautiful. Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, it was narrated about Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. So Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, as we know, he's uh, which number? Righteous Khalifa. Fifth. fifth? sixth. Sixth. Why sixth? After Al-Hassan. Al-Hasan. Yeah, after Al-Hasan. Oh. Oftentimes people say he's the fifth. But really he's the sixth Because you have to include Sayyidina Hassan. hasan Radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib So, but Umar ibn al-Aziz is, You could say he's the sixth Of the righteous khulafat <clears throat> He used to say the following لَأَنْ يَكُونَ li majlisun What a great word, majlis Great word لِأَنْ يَكُونَ li مَجْلِسٌ فِي مِنْ عُبَيْدِ اللَّهِ أَحَبُّ إِلَيَّ مِنَ الدُّنْيَا وَمَا فِيهَا he said, for me to sit in the company of the Ubaidullah, Ubaidullah, is more beloved to me than everything in this world. Amazing. It's more beloved to me than everything in this world, to be able to sit with this person. This one's even more interesting he said wallahi so inni la ashtari laylatan min layali ubaidullah bi anfi dinar min bayt al-man this one needs some commentary he's going to give it he said he said by allah i would buy by allah by i would buy buy one night of the nights of ubaidullah with a thousand dinars The thousand dinars from bayt al-man from the treasury of the muslims this is why it needs a little bit of commentary. Especially when you know Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. So so people can understand, Umar ibn Abdul Aziz took his responsibility, his amana of leadership and of the money of the Muslims so seriously that he used to do really interesting things. So for example, one of the things that's narrated about him is that someone came to him and he was working by candlelight, dealing with some of the affairs of the Muslims, right? was working by candlelight And someone came in And asked him uh, And asked him A personal issue Personal question Okay. He said, hold on one second And he put out the candle And he brought another candle And he lit the second candle And he told him, what are you doing? And he said, the first candle is from the money of the Muslims The second candle is from my money So if you came to talk to me about Something that's not the Issue of the Muslims. Then I put out the candle that's from the money of the Muslims, and I light the candle that's. Look at how serious he took the money of the Muslims, right? He's saying what? He's saying, uh, and yet I would buy, I would spend a thousand dinars, so I could have one night with Alba From the money of the Muslims. So this is like, what is it? What, what's going on? فَقَالُوا يَا الْمُؤْمِنِينَ even they knew it they're like you say this even though you're so strict about these issues like we know how strict you are on these type of things but you're saying this about him what's the situation <laughs> he's like basically what does one to do with you guys uluf. <laughs> So he said, what's wrong with you people? Don't you understand that this money that I spend to be able to spend time with him and to um, benefit from his opinion and to benefit from his advice and to benefit from his general counsel the return on that to the treasury of the Muslims will be thousands and thousands and thousands, so yeah, I can spend a thousand for one the, what I'm going to get from that one night will come back many times multiplied so he's, it's beautiful he's saying these when you talk to these people then it uh, what's that word when you um when you like uh Amy, Amy this is free the, when you um have like a seed and you're trying to get the seed to germinate? Maybe germinate. I feel like there's another word. No, no, no. Before that. It does that for the for the mind. They use it like when you're trying to get the plants to germinate. It's germinate maybe? Huh? Inoculate. Anyways, you get the idea. You know? Like if you want the avocados to grow, you have to plant the two of them so that they can cross fertilize each other I don't know what it is anyways point is when you sit with those kind of people it does that to your mind your mind would not be able to grow it has everything that it needs in order to grow it has everything it needs in order to produce fruit and to produce benefit and everything else but it's not going to do it because you didn't get the proper uh, germ fertilization maybe there's a word for it I can't get it anyways but when you sit with them then you get that and it brings ease to your soul it brings ease to your heart and it takes away your worries and your and your needs you know your difficulties they seem like they go away and it's a purification for your adab so look how amazing his statement is when you sit with people like this you get all these things your mind blossoms I mean that's a better word it's not the same but it's your mind blossoms and your heart is given ease and your troubles and your difficulties they go away and, um, and there's a refinement that happens to your adab refinement that happens to the adab subhanAllah one of the poets he said he said there's nothing left of enjoyment in this world except to sit and have good conversation with intelligent people that is the only thing that's left you know, this is a nice level of looking at things Okay, now we continue. What does Imam Al-Muhassis say? Rahimahullah, we <inaudible> nafan Allah bi, wa ta'adag li al-haqi wa khadag la, wa adim ذكر الله تنقربا. These statements are so powerful, so short but so strong. Ta'adag li al-haqi wa khadag la, wa adim ذكر الله تنقربا. Says be humble in regards to the truth, and submit yourself to it. Be humble in regards to the truth and submit yourself to it. And be regular in the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if you do this, then you will attain nearness to Him. You will attain nearness to Him. Okay. Hmm. There's a story that he mentions in the comments He says that the, the way of the righteous people Is that when they know something to be true They rush towards it And if they find out that something that they believed was wrong Or they find out that something about themselves was wrong Then they don't let that stop them from going to what's right They just go to what's right And they, they go towards what's right So there's a story about Amr ibn Ubaid uh, that he had an opinion on an issue And he was wrong about it Okay, So he had an opinion It turned out his opinion was wrong And he had a discussion with Wasil ibn Atal And in the discussion It became clear to him that he was wrong That's how he realized that he was wrong فَرَجَعَ <laughs> So they said that he, he held a position He had a conversation with someone else In the course of that conversation He realized that his position was wrong So then he said I, I leave my position and I adopt your opinion And he said there's no, Between me and the truth There's no enmity there's, like Basically the truth is not my enemy <laughs> yeah, if it turns out that I was wrong, i You know, the truth is not my enemy. I just, you know, I'll go and follow the truth. He said, and the and the reality is that the correct opinion is your opinion. Correct opinion is your opinion. So, I t- so I bear- I I call everyone to witness that I leave my opinion. Uh, and I follow yours. So people thought that was an amazing thing, and they took that as a sign of his, uh, Diana. His, the quality of his religiosity. It's also an interesting thing, huh? These are characteristics we should look for in people. It's okay to have an opinion. It's okay to think you're right. It's okay to, of course. But the reality is that we're going to be wrong. And throughout life, we might be wrong a lot. And so we have to be able to say, like, okay, you know what? I was wrong about this thing. Maybe this thing wasn't right, this opinion that I had it wasn't correct, it wasn't sound. And um, and that's okay. That. Alright, <laughs> check out this story. This is a story about Ubaidullah ibn Hassan al anbari who died in one sixty eight, and he was from the notable people of Basra and its scholars and its people of knowledge, and he was also a judge. His student, Abdurrahman ibn Mahdi, said to says, We were so he says, We were at a janazah, so I asked him and I asked him a question, and he was wrong in the way that he answered the question. <laughs> so, first of all, you see, like, <laughs> this is how serious they were about the issues and the questions, and like getting the answers to their questions and stuff like that. But they're at a janaza, so he's asking him a question. You know, it's an opportunity. We're here. We can talk. We can discuss. So I'm going to ask him a question. Is it the most appropriate or not? So on and so forth. You know. So, so I asked him a question, and he gave. Uh, he was wrong. He says, "So I said to him, and at that time I was young." This means the meaning of that is: that at that time I was young. He said to them وَكَذَا. imagine the scenario They're in this janazah. the student asks the teacher about some issue. teacher gives an answer. The student says, "May Allah rectify your situation that's not the right answer. The answer is actually such and such. It's like very uh, direct conversation you know Amazing statement. Allahu Akbar. He stopped, he said, I said what I said to him, and he just lowered his head and he waited for a while. And then he said, You're right. I leave my opinion and I adopt your opinion and I don't mind like means like I'm I humble myself to that. I humble myself to that, That I'll take your opinion. And then he said, for me to be, basically for me to be a follower in truth is more beloved to me than to be a leader in falsehood. Like, I don't have to be the one who had the opinion as long as I'm following the right opinion. You understand? It doesn't have to be my opinion. This is a plague in American society. Yeah, We have to, some of these things we have to understand them because this is what we live in our educational system from childhood what does it tell us you need to have an opinion on everything and everyone you know and you're right you're justified to have your opinion the whole in you see when i used to deal with college students a lot more you see it very clearly it's like how do you establish yourself in a in a university as you question everything and you always have some question you're you're mashallah very gifted at having some question about something all the time and that's like how now you're educated person. <laughs> that's the status. That's how you become an educated person in American society, you know? It's good to have questions. But we just have questions for no reason. So he says, I don't ha have I don't have to have my own opinion. I don't have my own opinion. I can follow someone if you have the right opinion, I follow you. Alhamdulillah. You know? So Imam al- Shafi'i said what, right? We always say, Imam al-Shafi'i said, I it's my it's my wish and my desire that I would be able to teach this knowledge and people would learn it and they would carry it on and nobody would remember where it came from that they don't they They forget me take me out of it it's okay (sighs) oh subhanallah I think this is the part where I fell asleep on the couch and didn't wake up (laughs) to be really blunt with you that's definitely what happened right here. <coughs> I really thought there was more prepared. SubhanAllah. Alright, next statement Ahmad ibn Hanbal, Qala Ahmad ibn Hanbal, Samir to Sufyan ibn Ryayne, Qala li Malik ibn Mirwal, Ittaqillah, Fawada al-Khadahu bil Abd. Uh, Sufiyana, Ahmad ibn Hamba says I heard Sufyan ibn Uryana say that someone said to this other man, Malik ibn Migwal they said to him, At-taqilla. At-taqilla. You know? Have some fear of Allah. Have some awareness of Allah. Like check yourself, you know. It's funny because in the American Muslim community has become kind of like a, there was a time when people used to use a used a lot. Use a everyone would be telling everyone a taqillah all the time, you know? And it became like to the point where now there's a negative reaction to it Amongst a certain generation of people Not because of what it's saying It was because like I've been abused by this statement so much That I, uh, I can't really like t- Benefit from it anymore you know, It's a problem But so he, so he said this to this guy And he put his face on the ground That was his response He put his face on the ground it's like, that's, my, that's his immediate response to it just to humble himself to like okay fine. then it goes to the statement of Al-Muhasibi wa ذِكْرُ dhikrullahi تَنَا الْقُرْبَ أَدَمْ ذِكْرُ الله قربة. <sighs> SubhanAllah <coughs> It says that be regular in the remember, be consistent and consistent in the remembrance of Allah. You will attain closeness to Him. So again, this book is like filled with keys. If you want this, do this. If you want this, do this. If you want to be close to Allah? Remember Allah Allah. This is something that the Muslims used to do. Right? Like if you were to think back, maybe some people have seen it, maybe you're younger. But if you go back to like the generation of my grandparents So that might be your great-grandparents, your grandparents, might be your parents That generation, whenever you ask people about righteous people in that generation They'll always tell you the same thing they always tell you they were always remembering Allah They had a, they had a sipha And whenever they, they had their sipha they were just saying all the time La ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah And the American Muslim community at some point that became something like you don't do even, even even, for me, like, usually if I have a sibha, I don't take it out in most masajid Because I feel like most people when you do it, they look at you like you're a weirdo But think about, think about that for a second, like who's actually the weirdo? <laughs> the weirdo is the one who doesn't think that like remembering Allah is that important That you should carry something Like Muslims did this for generation upon generation all the righteous people did it. La 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 they, They've be been making la all the time. They live their life throughout everything in their life they're making dhikr, making dhikr, making dhikr, making dhikr. So if you want to become close to Allah, make a lot of dhikr. It sounds really easy, you know. If you don't do this, it sounds really easy. But I promise you, if you try to do it, you realize it's not very easy actually. You you wake up and you'll be like, you know what I'm gonna remember Allah a lot today. And you might do a little bit, like the first 15 minutes you're saying astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah, for allah, alhamdulillah, la allah, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, eventually you start getting tired And eventually you start being like, well I don't know what I should say next, and I don't know, you know, maybe I said la la allah enough times now Then you start to realize, oh there's a reason why they used to use a hundred times, there's a reason why they used to use five hundred times There's a reason why, at least some of these sibhas, there's an the Egyptian model of the sibha, it's only a hundred beads but it gives you a million count you pass it, you pass it, and then you move it to the next one You move it to the next one, you move it to the next one Then you finish all those, you move it to the next one And it counts you up to a million People can just say, la ilaha illallah, la ilaha Until they get to a million You're like, that's extreme, you don't need a number, brother Just remember Allah without a number you, you, Go ahead <laughs> And if it works for you, alhamdulillah And if it doesn't work for you, then come back and say You know what, I was wrong The truth is in what our predecessors did The truth is in what the righteous people did I'll follow that. I, put, I I humble myself to that. I'd rather be the follower in the truth rather than the leader in falsehood. You say all of those things. Alhamdulillah, it's fine. But know that people did this for a reason. Hmm. <coughs> There's a nice book that is translated to English that talks about many of the benefits of dhikr. Uh, in Arabic, it's called al Wabl al-Sayyib min kanim al-Tayyib by Ibn Qayyim, it's translated in English, I think, as The Remembrance of God. Does anyone know? It has kind of like a goldish cover. I, uh, ITS translated it, Islamic Text Society. And it's either The, rem- on the remem- It's either the Remembrance of God or maybe The Invocation of God. It has kind of like a goldish color. It's translated, it's a good translation. SubhanAllah, it's, it's actually an early translation. I, we bought the translation of that book before we went to Egypt, when we were first married. When we first married, everyone gave us money and stuff, and we just went and spent it all on books, like, <laughs> like dummies, <laughs> We're newlyweds with like nothing in the house except all these books that we don't even know which ones are good and which ones are not. But that was a good one, <laughs> you know, that was a good book, on the inv- invocation. Did you find it? Invocation, invocation of God. on the invocation of God. Yeah, invocation of God. It's a good translation. It's quite interesting because he'll mention like dozens and dozens of benefits of li- making the. But y- also you should know that you know, reading dozens and dozens of benefits of making thicker doesn't necessarily make you someone who makes thicker. You, know? you just kind of have to do it. <laughs> students of knowledge do that all the time. You fee- see them students of knowledge are always obsessed with curriculums. You know, okay, I want to study the Hanafi school. What's the curriculum I should follow? You study this book then you study this book, then you study this book. Someone else will come and say, oh, no, 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 not that book. The second stage you study this book. MashaAllah, they spend months and months and months and months discussing what's the best curriculum to study fiqh. And then don't study any fiqh. <laughs> so don't don't get so caught up in reading about the benefits of dhikr that you don't make dhikr. That generation of people before us, they didn't read a book on fifty benefits of dhikr in order to make dhikr. They just made dhikr because they loved Allah. And they wanted to remember Allah. That's what they spent their time in. You know. He mentioned some of them here, but it's going to get quite involved. Um, one of the things to know is that the Prophet them, really encouraged us to make a lot of dhikr. Even one narration says, you should remember Allah so much that people think you're crazy. Like, what's wrong with this person? You know, He's making so much dhikr. When he was asked advice, how, do, how can I you know, do well in my relationship with Allah? He said, "Make sure your tongue is always moist with the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa taala." And and the more you can do that without everyone knowing, like the less you can make a show out of it, the better. You know, because it doesn't. Uh, it's okay to publicly make dhikr, Don't get me wrong, but uh, eventually the hope is that, we, you know, sometimes things take stages. I'm not accustomed to making dhikr, so what I'm just going to do is I'm just going to make dhikr. I'm going to take my beads out. And I'm going to move them And it's going to remind me That I should say lay, lay, Allah, I should say subhanallah, Whatever else it is And then eventually The person builds that habit If they build that habit enough Then they're not going to need The beads as much They might need the beads To keep count of something In particular if they need to But it becomes part of what they do So they're, they're someone who's they're Someone who remembers Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala In an abundant way And it is such an easy Act of worship But it's such a beneficial Act of worship and it takes the hardness out of a person's heart. There's a lot more hardness in our hearts than I think we realize, and so we have to try to uh, scrub it, to scrub the heart, scrub it, scrub it, scrub it until the remembrance of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala becomes dominant. Mm-hmm. They say the best type of remembrance of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala is to read the Quran. So don't get like a very narrow understanding of this. You read, if, of course, if you read the Quran, this is the type of remembrance. If you make Salah, it's a type of remembrance. If you are doing something that brings the remembrance of Allah into the world, it's a type of remembrance. right? So all of these things are good things. Alhamdulillah. He says in the uh, commentary, this is all from Ibn Qayyim. He says, so it basically it takes the hardness out of the heart and it it attracts the blessings of Allah and it pushes away the 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 opposite. Um, and it makes it also so that when we remember Allah, Allah remembers us, right? The the, the hadith of the Prophet. That we remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Then Allah remembers us And if we remember Allah in a gathering Allah remembers us in a gathering better than The gathering that we're in So everyone should say La ilaha illallah La ilaha illallah Who's that gathering? Hmm Alright Ibn Qayyim also said, "I heard from Shaykh al al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah, Qaddis Allah Taala ruha hu, yakuula, lin qalbi ma'i yakun wa Ruha يَقُولَ ذِكْرُ مِثْلُ الْمَاءِ فَكَيْفَ يَكُونُ السَّمَكِ إِذَا فَارَقَ الْمَاءِ." He says, "The dhikr for the heart, remembrance of Allah for the heart, is like the relationship between a fish and water. So, what happens when you take the fish out of water? Fish dies. You take the heart out of the remembrance of Allah, the heart dies." makes you think about some things you know sometimes here you see like this you see people and this is not like a judgment against them you know but you see people sometimes in, in the US uh, and we say the dua of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam afani bi, Alhamdulillah, that Allah protected us from whatever he tried other people with and he's given us benefits or, or, or blessings or virtues blessings I guess over other people uh, not like that's not it's from Allah like if we have something someone else if you see someone doesn't have a home and they're struggling on the street we don't say like oh this person you know they're so bad you say, Alhamdulillah, that Allah gave me what he gave me you know it's not like it's it's not like that but you see, sometimes people and they're just like such an emptiness to them, you know. And like this is horrible. It's so sad. Like that's not what human beings were made to be. It's not how human beings were were, were supposed to be, you know. It's because what happens? You take the heart. You take the fish out of the water. You take the fish out of the water. Then the fish dies. You know even. Like if even if like you're you're in a Muslim majority land with all of their problems and all of their corruption and everything else, you still hear the adhan five times a day. Even if you're not remembering Allah, you're you're going to hear the remembrance of Allah. You don't have a choice. You're going to hear the adhan. And it's always you know Muslims in the West they always respond with the same thing, which is like it's shocking to them. You know, as soon as you get, I, I I remember the first night that we were in Egypt and like. We, we got to the apartment Because we got to the apartment in the middle of the night And we could Right next, right, like we were on one corner And the next corner was a big masjid It's a big, big green minaret And lights and everything And you're just looking at it and like waiting for Fajr You know, because like you know the Adhan's going to come out of it It's an amazing thing So no matter like what uh, What situation the person might be No matter what's going on in their life They're still not completely removed from their remembrance of Allah you know, same thing in Egypt you would see all the time like Ida'at and quran in the Egyptian Quran radio and everyone listens to it especially in the morning there's certain cultural things sometimes people make fun of them they're actually good things you know like when you go to a wedding and they have to have a Quran in the beginning and then as soon as the Quran ends like all the music starts and people start dancing and it just goes completely insane it's still the Quran like there's a reason why they're putting the Quran in the beginning <laughs> it's because like there's an understanding that there's a blessing in this Everyone will listen to the Qur'an in the morning It's like the day has started, I need to listen to the Qur'an As the day progresses, you get in taxis, you get into everything else You don't hear the same thing You would start hearing music, you start hearing this, you start hearing that But early in the morning, you always everyone's listening to the Qur'an radio you know? and, and it was so beautiful because the radio is different One of the things I love about radio You know, and... Uh, is that people are having a shared experience in radio. You, you don't realize it until radio stopped being a thing, you know? And then, now everyone has their own thing that they're listening to. So this person is to this, this person is to this and so on, right? But when you're listening to the radio, even when I was thinking about like when we were kids, even though you're listening to things that are totally haram, but we all had the same experience. Like you go to school and everyone heard the same thing. You know, everyone's hearing the same stuff, everyone's uh, So but you would go in like the morning you go to one store and they're reciting from the surah, you know, you hear it on the radio. And you go to the next store and it completes and it continues. And then you jump in a taxi and it continues. It's like the most beautiful thing. On Fridays, you always hear the Qur'an on the um, loudspeakers of the masjid Before Juma. maybe like an hour before Juma, They put the, the, to connect the, if they don't have a reciter live, they connect a the, the tape or something to the minaret and you just hear the Qur'an. So everyone's going to, everyone has some connection with the remembrance of Allah. That's my point, right? So my point is that everyone has some connection with the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So even if they've done all kinds of horrible things and even if their life is completely astray, at least there's a little bit of water. But the heart is still in like a little bit of water. It can be brought back to life. Ibn Qayyim also says, madra." He's talking about who? Ibn Taymiyyah. Ibn Qayyim is a student of Ibn Taymiyyah, right? So Ibn Qayyim says, I was with him one time at Fajr prayer. We prayed Fajr prayer. Thumma jalasa yadhkur Allah Ta'ala ila min nahar. He said then, we prayed Fajr together and he sat, Ibn Taymiyyah, he sat and he remembered Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala until something like midday. Then he turned to me. Uh, might not be midday, but like maybe mid-morning. غدوتي, غدوتي, sorry. غدوتي, he says, uh, and so he, said, he turned to him and he said, This is my breakfast. So he said, they prayed Fajr together and he sat and he made dhikr for a really long time. Then he turned to him and he said, This is my breakfast. He said, and if I don't eat my breakfast al quwwati If I don't eat my breakfast, I don't have my strength It's different, people are looking at things different, you know there's, there's an understanding here that like Okay, you want to do great things Don't neglect these things Because if you want to do great things What you need is not more time What you need is more barakah <laughs> Right? This is the lesson from this what you need is not more time. Someone would look at him and be like, well, he wasted all that time. It's not for lot, you know. But like, he didn't need to make dhikr for two, three hours. He could have just made dhikr for ten minutes and it would have been enough. You know, the Prophet gave us all the dhikr we need. Half an hour, it would have been done. Why did he sit there and do that for all that time? He's more in need of the dhikr and the barakah than he's in need of the time. As if the time has barakah in it, then the time will. The blessing. Barakah means blessing, right? So if the time has a blessing in it, then the time will be more beneficial and useful so he said he said he said to me one time i only stop making dhikr so that i can give myself a break so that i can make more dhikr (laughs) <laughs> that I only stop making dhikr So that I can take a break So that I can make more dhikr. Again, it's a different perspective on reality One of the companions of the Prophet Sallallahu alayhi wa He said ala uh, I, 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 I seek Aid In Leisure For worship Okay Seek aid and leisure for worshiping. I'm going to take a break so I can come back stronger. It's similar, you know, this whole self care thing and all this stuff. It's a type of self care. You're saying I'm taking a break so that I can make more dhikr afterwards. Subhanallah. Of course, this is a type of dhikr that's happening by the tongue, right? But there's dhikr that also can happen by a person's actions. Uh, You know, the person acts. Maybe a person acts in accordance with the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu wa sallam. In a sense, they're making dhikr of the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu They're bringing that into the world. You know, They step in a certain way. They go in a certain way. They move in a certain way. They speak in a certain way. They eat in a certain way. Wada um, You spend some time here talking about the type of dhikr that is prohibited. <laughs> um, and that is an issue. That there can be types of dhikr that are not appropriate. You know, maybe people are acting in a way that's not really um, appropriate. Maybe they're, um, I don't know, just doing things that are not right. But dhikr generally is an act that's. We can enjoy it, but it's generally something that's kind of sober. are we remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Questions on the Hadra and all this kind of stuff usually come up here. So, you know, you leave us alone for a day. Uh, I'm going to read this hadith of the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Again uh, it's, it's said by al-Muhasibi but again Abu Ghudda says, I didn't find this hadith. Remember how we talked about that before? Rather than saying this is not a hadith, rather than saying this is a weak hadith, rather than saying it's fabricated, all this stuff, Abu Huddah himself in his comment his comments, he has a lot of adab. So he the author puts the hadith, he says, I didn't find this hadith in any of the sources that I looked at. And he's a great scholar of hadith, Abu Hudda. So Rahimahullah. But he says, I didn't find it anywhere. And and then he gives comments on the meaning, because the meaning is important, right? Uh, the hadith that's famous about making about dhikr is the one Ida الله الله And he said, Halikh Dhikr. They said the Prophet told them, If you pass by the gardens of paradise, then take some rest in them. And then he asked them, What are the, they asked him, What are the gardens of paradise, O Messenger of God? He said they are the gatherings of remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's actually why that these this these rugs, for those of you who are original majlis space people you might recall that these two big green rugs were in the office space of the majlis and then along the bottom of the walls of the majlis there were like plant decor on the wall right? that was Shaykh Muslim's idea because of the hadith they said because we want this room to be a place where Allah is remembered so we want to have green carpet because it's like plants and gardens have plant life and they have vegetation So then, the theme of the room becomes like plants and vegetation because it's supposed to be a garden, meta metaphysical garden, and kind of like there's a connection, right? So that was her idea. Same rugs. That's also why a lot of the Muslim rugs and stuff they have this uh, designs, designs of plants and vegetation and things. Because these are gardens. Remember Allah on them. Remember Allah on the rug. The rug's a garden from the gardens of paradise. It's very beautiful, actually. Prophet Allah, I send them in this statement that Abu Ghadda says he didn't find, that Abu al-Muhasibi says. He said So the meaning of this would be sound, but it's not in this narration. It says, Those who are in the company of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the hereafter are those who have humbled themselves and um, those who are fearful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and those who remember Allah often those who remember Allah often we ask Allah to, subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us from Al-Dhakirin. lahum kathira. Amen. any questions or anything about this before we stop it and take any questions about the seminary stuff because it's my impression that people might have questions anything about this first to try to find out those actions or those needs that really strike us or uh, make a change in our life. So my question is, like, what, what's some advice to, to identify them and, 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 and know that, okay, this is, this is something that I particularly strike, me. based on how it changes my life or my mindset or mm. long-term attack. Hmm. So the question is in the beginning There was some conversation about the idea Of learning to pay attention to those things That have a stronger effect on oneself And their relationship with Allah And how do we get to do that Like how do we do we do that How do we know that What do we pay attention to Roughly Do you have anything to add So I think the first challenge in this is to become people who actually pay attention to their heart. It's the first step. <laughs> right? Uh, I'm not going to be able to know this if I'm not paying attention to my heart. And there's a relationship between our heart and our feelings, but they're not... Uh, we have to train ourselves to not obey our desires and to not obey our feelings. That way we can better hear our heart. Okay? Because if I'm... Uh, uh, constantly overwhelmed with just doing whatever I feel, then I'm not going to be able to stop long enough to listen. But if I stop long enough to listen, and I and I, I can stop, and I can say okay. Hmm. You can do it. You can do it like a little extra You can talk to your heart, by the way. You can tell pay attention. Um. And then you can kind of like reach some level of equilibrium. So like, okay, I'm gonna pay attention to my heart and figure out like what's going on, what's what's concerning me, what's bothering me, why is it bothering me? We have to uh, embrace the world of the inside. The world of the inside is far greater and far more miraculous and marvelous and more interesting than the world of the outside. Now they always say like. What's under the deepest of the sea and, the, and of, the, of the seas is like worlds that we can't even imagine that we haven't been able to explore and so on. Like there's another sea, it's in in the heart, and it's a whole different level of ocean. It's all kinds of things there, and um, all kinds of knowledge there, actually, because our soul has witnessed things that our our mind and our our body and stuff hasn't witnessed, right? So. If we can learn to attend to that a little bit, then... Uh, so if we can overcome certain distractions, you know, the distractions of being uh, subjected to our whims, the distractions of being controlled by our desires, then we can baseline a little bit. And when we baseline, we can start to continue to make that look, and you know, say, "Oh, SubhanAllah, that really affected me." and there, there should be times when we feel like oh, I felt something from that the only thing is we have to be careful a little bit because sometimes sometimes, if we're not in control of our desires sufficiently then we're feeling something because it's our desires or sometimes, and then sometimes they're just corrupt people who really know how to manipulate other people and they know how to make you feel certain things so you have to be careful with that too no, but I know. Hold on, time. I don't know that I can add much more than that. Any other questions or anything, comments? Anyone else? No.